Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual Biblical Symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8-9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible's Literature Podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Last week, Richard, we heard the first part of a beautiful introduction to the language of Scripture by Father Paul. And we're going to hear the rest of that presentation in today's episode. We'll have the opportunity to hear Father Paul talk about subjects that are very important to him, things that we've talked about in the past year. He'll refer again to the nominal sentence, to the difficulty of the verb to be. In Greek, he will talk about the triliteral root consisting of three consonants and its importance. He will talk about a number of very important verbal forms in the Semitic languages, And then something, Richard, that I know you care very much about, and that is the novelty of the wow consecutive. The wow consecutive is something that's unique to biblical Hebrew, which Father Paul will go into to help us understand the Bible from the point of view of the language it's written in. We now give you Father Paul Tarazi with the second part of his introduction to his commentary on Genesis on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Another aspect of the conjugation, which is very special to Semitic languages, and I would like to ask the attention of my hearers. Usually in Semitic languages, the verb is from so-called triliteral root, three letters. All the verbs have to be from three letters, which is consonants. When you say letter, we mean consonants. But then... The Semitic languages are complex, but on the other hand, rich, and I would even say easier to follow when you realize that the same root has seven different forms with a little bit of addition of letters, which is technical. All the verbs submit to the same seven forms. or changing the vowels and thus you never lose the connection between words let me jump into english for instance the verb to go forth applies to someone who's going out to say that someone made someone else go out in english you have to move to another verb and you use bring forth I'm using examples that are found in the Hebrew. So I'm going to make it easy because I don't want now to concentrate on the forms. I'll get to them whenever 
we meet one of the seven forms. But for the time being, I would like my hearers to realize that you have to make a mental effort to figure out that go forth and bring forth are interrelated, that someone does the action and someone receives the action or someone does it because go forth, you can do it yourself. Okay, this is called intransitive verb. It doesn't need a complement. But what you lose is that the one hearing the same thing in Semitic languages has it easier or more readily, if you want. The connection comes more readily because it is from the same triliteral. In this case, it is yasa or yatsa. So when you say to bring forth, you use a verbal form, number five, which is causative to make someone else. We'll go through that whenever we meet them. I can mention it quickly to you now. but And then you can hear the connection. But that becomes very important because if the connection is there, you cannot say, yeah, but the author was not intending. You don't know. I'm not saying that the author is intending or not. But I'm saying you may not dismiss that the connection could be intentional. I'm sure many of the hearers that read my books will realize that I use this all the time, and not only in Hebrew, but also in Greek. Let's go back to Anaginosko. It is impossible for me to dismiss the fact that Anaginosko is from the same verb plus a preposition of the verb Ginosko. It's impossible, or at least one has no right to dismiss this. So one can imagine if you have seven verbal forms, and let me do them quickly for my hearers. They are in couples, the first six, obviously, where we have the passive and the active and then the passive, like to write and then to be written. That would be form one and two. Form Three and four, it's the same thing, active and passive. But the connotation is that you do something either more intensively or more repetitively. Okay, let me give you an example. For instance, the verb shabar is to break. The third form, shiber, is to crush, to shatter, to break more often. Form five, which is very important, and six is active and passive, of the causative meaning, to make someone do something, which, by the way, form three also has, as we know from Arabic. But let's make things simpler. So you have the basic verb with its passive. Three and four would be the repetition or the underlining and causative of the verb. Number five and six are the active and the passive of the causative, which is very important. I shall show you the importance of that, which is amazing that when you use the verb yalad to give birth, it's silly to apply it to the male person or entity, whether human or animalic, silly. 
with all the ado in the news today, I mean, people would have a heart attack if they hear a man saying, we are pregnant, we gave birth. I mean, it's silly. Technically speaking, what you see is that the woman gives birth. When the verb is used of the male, M-A-L-E, it is systematically, and I took my time to check on that, it is the fifth verbal form, which is amazing. Now, let me jump and say that this is missed in Greek. In Greek, it's the same verb. You say, Abraham gave birth to Isaac, which is the same verb, agenisen, as you would say about the mother. And then you can theologize on that. But that's the trouble with theology, which I attack again and again frontally, because it was devised by Greco-Romans. The Hebrew text does not allow you this. Again, let's stick with technicalities now. Because if the hearer gets excited and goes and wants to give me another, it will never end, you know, because I have the answer for all whatever the hearer has in mind. For the time being, let's stick with that. The seventh form is very special in the grammars written in Europe and North America. It's referred to as the reflexive when you do an action for yourself. Let me say immediately, because we're going to encounter this in Genesis, this is the difference between halak, which means he walks, and hithalek, to go back and forth, to and fro, which is very important when I'll be discussing these verbs and pointing to the action of a shepherd that goes back and forth. So it's not just he walked, okay, like when you get to that seventh form in Genesis chapter 3, in English you say, and God was walking. Well, how was he walking? Very important. So Please, as much as possible, remember these seven forms and take them into consideration whenever I need to make a comment on that. I'll try to the best of my ability not to overwhelm my hearers later, but sometimes I have to, so I'll be appealing to these forms. Another feature, again, of the essence I know people make fun of me when I use of the essence because it's platonic, but I use it just out of condescension and deference to make you understand that it is at least as important as Plato, if not more. It is the so-called nominal sentence. And those who know Slavic languages understand that readily, unlike those who know English or French. Why? Because it is still used in Slavic languages, all of them, Russian. What it means is that you have a sentence with only nouns and you don't need a verb to say the boy is big in Semitic languages and in Russian in this case. You don't need is, which means, and this is a pun on my part, the verb is is not. And that is a calamity for my students in the first years, because for them, 
you dismantle the usia, the being, the existence, the essence in itself, and all our theology just revolves around that, which is a sheer stupidity. I mean, you're talking about something that is not, does not exist. So you say, the boy is big, which means, just to jump, that in the Semitic languages, the verb to be does not exist in the present tense. It does exist in the past. Again, to make a long story short, if you want to say the boy was big, you have to use was. So you have the boy big, describing the boy now or all the time. The boy was big. And in Arabic, interestingly, we have a third form that we begin with inna, which is a conjunction that you use after you make a statement, I'm saying that. And it would be to express the emphasis. I am stating that the boy is big. In Arabic, you say, inna al-walada kabirun. So in Arabic, which is more developed, we have three forms that the people are aware. Al-waladu kabirun, the boy big, has a different meaning than kan al-waladu kabiran, the boy was big. And then in al-walada kabirun, I am stating, I am underlining that the boy is big. Be it as it may, it's very important that we be aware of that, and that plays a very important function, one of which most of you have guessed. What I said at the beginning is that everything is functional in language. You cannot figure out the meaning of a word if you don't read for the others or for yourself the sentence or if the sentence has not been read for you. And the nominal sentence is not a big deal. You have it in English. You hear it all the time in the movies, TV shows. You there? You don't say, are you there? And the other person understands the fact that it's all over the place. And then you have an answer. In Arabic, when we teach the people, we say Semitic is more the language of children. Like when the child points to his father or uncle or mother, oh, with the pointer. And then slowly on, you teach him to add here or there. Now, the verb to be is a big deal. Okay, it complicates life. You have a noun and a verb or a noun and a adverb or a noun and an adjective and so on and so forth. Okay, I believe I covered all the important features. I'll leave this one for later. I'll mention it quickly. It's a feature specifically of the biblical language, and that's why it has its own importance. It is not found. The authors, for whatever reason, conceived it, which is strange. So I'm just mentioning it, and I'll give an example where it becomes important so that my hearers would not be left without hope. Okay, it's sad to leave someone without hope. I'm usually criticized for doing this, but this time I'm going to do something different. It is the so-called wow consecutive. Wow is the consonant by itself that means and in Hebrew and in Arabic and in all Semitic languages. 
But there is something interesting in the biblical Hebrew, without discussing how it came about, is that when you have a sequence, when you want to say, for instance, the boy woke up and then washed his face and then ate, you're connecting by time and not just the boy awoke and also the boy washed his face. So let's be clear about that. When you want to express the sequence, that's why the grammarians in the West call it wow consecutive. You have a sequence. You say the boy awoke and he will wash his face. Conversely, if you say the boy will awake and then you want to say and then he will wash, in Hebrew it is and he washed his face. So if you have the past, you have to use what we call the future. And if you have the future, you're, and it's systematic and it becomes very important. And let me end with a really striking example. Try to ask your students, where does the first mention of Isaac take place in the Bible? You have to wait until you meet the name of that person we refer to as Isaac. But there is a trick in the original Hebrew that Isaac appears already once before Isaac appears to the hearing. It is in Genesis 17, 17. It's easy to remember. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. In Hebrew, it sounds like this. Obviously, I read the first part in English. Then Abraham fell on his face and Isaac exactly and isaac in hebrew obviously and i would like to end with this example to impress upon my hearers that they must make the effort to learn if not hebrew something about hebrew and not dismiss in my presentation when i refer to these things they don't have to agree they can go to someone else and ask is the premise of father paul correct not is what father paul said is correct or not and one has to submit to these things so let me end with this nice striking feature that in the bible isaac is already before isaac appears and not in the platonic sense that he is an eternal soul and so on, but in the text. And one more time, this is something that Semitic languages allow and all languages. But since we're hearing the Bible, one has to keep this into consideration. And then you can read in my commentary on Genesis how the author specifically plays on that because you laughed i'm going to remind you your entire life by naming your son with a name that reminds you that you made fun of me so it has its importance the way the seven verbal forms have their importance 
So again, hopefully this is a podcast, meaning that you can rehear it, stop it, take notes and so on. It's going to take time anyway. <laughs> I mean, a long time to, number one, explain how Genesis sounded to the original hearers. And secondly, defend my thesis that the entire message of Scripture is already there, complete and full. If not in 1 through 4, it is definitely in 1 through 11. I have a good friend of ours, you all know him, he said, you know, you're giving me hope, Father Paul, after your oral presentation in Massachusetts. I said, great, if everything in Genesis 1 through 11 then all I have to read is Genesis 1 through 11. <laughs> and then when he started reading the book, said, uh, that's even better news. All I have to read is Genesis 1 through 4. I said, the trouble with this, my friend, is in order to understand 1 through 4, you have to know the rest of Scripture, and that's the trick. But anyway, we'll just take it step by step. Thanks, Father Paul. Thank you very much. Thank you, Father. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.